Hello and welcome to Franchise Radio Show interview with Tim Wise. Tim is a regular um, uh, visitor here. He's the founder of the national franchise group, the Tap Doctor. Um, and the question, the topic today is how an entrepreneur adapts their style to create a successful franchise. This is is really of interest to to many many business owners who say, "Well, I haven't got the skill sets to do all this, etc., etc." These are the these are the questions we're faced by Tim. So, what I'm doing basically is chatting to him. He's he's rather a legend. If you haven't heard of him or listened to these um, these these recordings before, he's rather a legend in the franchise area. Um, and you'll know if you have heard his earlier recordings that um, we share a lot of uh, valuable. I suppose values, and he's going to share some of his stories today. So I'm going to ask him just how an entrepreneur adapts themselves to the broad-based skill sets required to develop and run a successful franchise group. In other words, the things that are stopping most people before they undertake the exciting journey of, franch of a franchise program. Um, I mentioned he was the founder of the Tap Doctor. It is the largest plumbing franchise in Australia, and he's had quite a number of achievements and uh, a number of business successes in a number of areas. So he's rather a serial entrepreneur. He's going to draw on these varied experiences um, in our conversation, which is fundamentally aimed at helping you as a business owner successfully make that transition so you can replicate yourself and develop a multi-outlet franchise group. Um, so this is another of our radio shows basically aimed to help you learn the skills and techniques on your franchise journey. Uh, Tim, uh, welcome to you. It's lovely to talk to you again, and thanks very much indeed for agreeing to appear. Thank you, Brian. Thanks for having me again. Was there anything I missed in your intro or anything you'd like to, to edit? <laughs> well, I think you're always way too kind. I guess I need to speak, you know, say that, uh, you know, I've been uh, moved on from the tap doctor for some time, but that still I, I learned a lot of valuable lessons, and uh, after that I went into running a public company for eight years, which is a whole different game again. So, yeah, um, I hope that I can add some value to your listeners today. Absolutely. So when you were at the point where many of the listeners will be at, considering franchising, why did you choose franchising as the, as the model, the method for growing your business? Yeah. Uh, I had a, a mentor, a guy by the name of Kelly Ritchie, started Hose Masters. And um, when we were running the Tap Doctor, uh, we were running it along as a small business. Um, because I'd read the e-myth, and that was my motivation for starting the Tap Doctor in the first place, I came across uh, a guy called Archie Govan. Some might have heard this story before. But I came across a guy called Archie. He was this silicon-covered plumber. Uh, he was stuffing cash into his bread bin, literally in his pantry. I came into his home one day where his wife was. She was stressed out of his brain. He was running all over Perth, blowing up these little black Honda Civics at the, at the time with no systems whatsoever. And, um, and I thought, you know, this, this could be, this could be a business that, uh, we could systemize and, and franchise. And, uh, I'd been talking to my mentor, Kelly, and, uh, been watching his, um, uh, all the different challenges that he faced in his franchise business. And I was really quite, uh, scared about the concept of franchising from what I'd seen because to me it looked like a never ending, uh, battle with franchisees uh, who might have had different values or weren't upkeeping the systems of the business, etc. 
and I thought, no, I don't know about this. And, and I remember distinctly sitting on the bench for some time, really not knowing whether we should franchise or remain wholly owned um, as 100% owned business by ourselves. And I was standing in the car park um, at our offices in the Cave Street, North Fremantle, and I was on the phone to Kelly and I said, Kelly, I've made a decision. Are we going to go for this? You know, and I was, I was really, uh, nervous about the decision, but I just remember it was literally like stepping across a line in the sand and just making a commitment and making a decision to go that way. So I don't know that there was a lot of science to it, but there was the science of commitment and, and the only way, uh, we really learn is by committing and I think it was Buckminster Fuller who said the principles will be revealed upon the decision. So principles are revealed once we make a decision, and they certainly were, as it turned out. That's that's interesting. So your your history with your plumbing became your joint venture partner or your co-business owner. What what was his name again? His name was Arch Governs. Really, uh, he was the, he was the kind of character that uh, the name suggests. He was very colourful. <laughs> Colourful language, uh, real visionary. I mean, he was the he was the founder. He was the original idea behind the Tap Doctor. Uh, he went out and made it happen. He had a couple of bands going before I met him, um, okay. and uh, we worked together then to franchise the business. So for you, that was your seed capital, if you like, was the concept that had already been developed and proven. But with the guy running around in ever decreasing circles, um, as you would do. Yeah, I mean. You know, I'd read the e-myth, which I, I think, uh, I didn't, well, I absolutely encourage anyone, I still think it's the best business book ever written, I'd just absolutely encourage anyone who's contemplating franchising or even running any small business to read that book because what it really does, and of course your book as well, Brian, which is coming out, and uh, I've read that, and that's, uh, that, that really um, emphasises some of the principles that are brought up in the, in the, um, uh, in the e-myth and uh, actually expands on them. But the, the e-myth was the reason that I wanted to really uh, go out and prove some concepts. Uh, I read it in the book. It sounded great, but could this really work? Um, and, and I wanted to take theory and turn it into practice. Um, so that's where the decision came from. Excellent. So obviously you saw, the, you saw, you saw Archie with his issues and you had your, your, your desire to prove that the e-myth worked. So... so what did you see as your strengths at that point then? What was it that gave you the confidence to jump in with Archie and say, let's let's do it? Yeah. Uh, well, in the emails, they talk about, you know, the technician having an entrepreneurial seizure. So what typically happens is the, uh, the plumber goes out and sets up a plumbing business. They know how to do the technical work of that business, being a plumber, but they've got no idea how to run a business that does that technical work. So I guess I, what I brought to the table was, um, some clue about how to run a business that does that work. When I say some clue, I mean, I was, how old was I at the time? I think I was still in my 20s. So, um, that was, that was a fair, fair while ago. Might have been in my late 20s. So, you know, I, I was still a bit of a puck myself and I went on a huge learning experience. Um, but by the same token, I had run a business before, a business called Listen Clothing, um, where we supplied some of the, um, a lot of boutiques around Western Australia and also some big department stores including Diamaru and, and Ahern's as it was back then. So, um, so I had a bit of a clue and well, I guess one of my strengths is 
what I you know, I'm a bit of a quick start, so I, I know how to get things moving quickly, uh, and uh, and and I have the I guess um, you know some resources to do that. Excellent. Okay. So also in this, bringing it into this partnership, you know, had you been in partnership before, or had you previously with your clothing business been been just you know a sole director sort of thing? Yeah. I was in a partnership before. Uh, Listen Clothing was a partnership with a guy called Gil Stubbs. He had a clothing brand called Ozone Clothing, um, and uh, he was operating out of Margaret River in uh, the southwest of Western Australia. He had some great designs, um, but you know, a similar thing. He was he had no systems, he had no marketing plan. Uh, you know, there were a lot of business um, elements that he was missing. So. I brought that to the equation, and um, yeah, we we uh, we ended up selling that business for a tidy sum, and and did well out of it. So I suppose that experience gave you put your training wheels on, so you felt confident in moving in approaching Archie to uh, do that that joint venture with him with the with the Tap Doctor. Yeah, well, with Listen Clothing, uh, we had started um, what I call proprietisation. I think that's what they call it in the English is proprietisation, whereby you know, you give the, the giving the business a look and a feel and a, and a branding, um, and so um, uh, we started to do that with missing clothing, but it didn't really lend itself to that process in the same way that the Cap Doctor did. I remember reading a book by um, it was called The Art of Wow, and I'm just trying to remember who the author was. Quite a famous author. Um, he wrote um, Tom Watson. That's right, Tom Watson, and there was a there was a uh, there was a plumbing group in there that he was talking about called Demar Plumbing, and they had a particular paint that they had patented, a yellow paint that they patented, um, amongst other things, other ways that they did their business to really wow their customers. And I thought when I saw the tap doctor, I thought this is something that lends itself to that, to really wowing the customer. And we did a lot of work on the USP, and and I I, I came up with a with a USP or unique selling proposition, which was you'll be delighted or it's free. Now, I don't reckon there would have been another plumber on the planet that would have been prepared to give that guarantee, but we were, you know, we were confident in what we were offering and, and we meant what we said. We wanted to make sure that our franchisees were accountable in delighting our customers and, and we did a lot of little things um, as part of our franchise system to ensure that that was the case. That's a powerful proposition. So, what about your weaknesses? I mean, did, were you aware, or did you, you know, were you conscious of any weaknesses you had when you when you went to the tap doctor? Yeah, I, look, I don't know that I was conscious of my weaknesses back then, but I certainly am much more now. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm an, <laughs> you know, that happens with age, doesn't it, Brian? <laughs> so, I mean, I. I <laughs> So I think uh, I think really um, uh, what I what I've got to say about myself as, as as my awareness has grown is that I love starting things. I don't necessarily like uh, going doing the the, the the drudgery work that that um, that goes at the back end of, of of a business and and running that business. Now everyone has a different profile. Mine tends to be much more entrepreneurial. I love variety. Um, and uh, and and I love uh, I'm also very driven for purpose and meaning. So my wife actually has a profile for them. That's what it came out as showing, and we, none of us were surprised when it showed up. You know, the love for variety. So so for me, um, you know, starting a business, 
like the TAP Doctor was fantastic. Once it came down to implementing the systems and the day-to-day, I, I got a bit bored. You know, I, I just thought, you know, I want to move on. I'm ready to move on to the next thing. Um, now, what I'd say to anyone in that who's that way inclined is what you probably want to do is understand that the business is not you, okay? The business is separate from you, okay? But you are creating an entity. So the tap doctor is now its own entity. There are people, very competent people behind that who run the business and do it very well. However, someone else could step in and do those roles if they had the qualifications and were, you know, had the knowledge to do that. So the business can stand on its own two feet. When you've got a business that can stand on its own two feet, you are free at some point in time to go and live your life however you want, provided you've got control and, and a way of controlling the business through shareholder agreements, through making sure that you've got the right amount of equity, you probably want to hold at least 51%, so you've got that level of control. Um, but it really comes down to making sure you've got the proper governance and, and shareholdings and shareholder agreements in place that you can go off and do other things if you want to and put the business under management and still, you know, still receive checks from it. Okay. Um, so, yeah. Okay, that, that brings me to a question. You've led me in. We've sort of... Uh segued into one of my later questions, but I'll bring it forward now because you've raised it. So the question I was going to ask is when did you develop your exit strategy? And you've sort of said here you recognize you've got a fairly short sort of uh, lifespan, if you like, with your level of interest in a business because you're a, you're a quick starter. Um, what, were, what were your plans for your exit strategy and when did you develop those? Okay, so that was definitely not perfect. Um, I, that my exit strategy was, uh, during the dot-com boom in about, I think it was in about the year 2000, a bit after, I really developed a, a, a passion for the tech space and also public companies. I'd grown up around public companies. My father was always involved in public companies, so I always was around the speak. I was around trading shares and all that sort of thing. So it was a, a, a space that fascinated me. And um, and I wanted to go and play in that game. So, you know, um, what often happens in businesses where you step out and let other people run the business or manage the business is there can be some psychology around that whereby those that are running the business uh, can become maybe, I don't know whether resentful is too strong a word, but certainly they feel like they're doing everything and you haven't, you know, you're, you're, you haven't earned your shareholding as time goes on. Yeah. Because they're at the coalface and small business, as we all know, is a tough, it's a tough gig. And when you're there day in, day out and working it and, and all that sort of thing, there tends to be a psychology whereby shareholders who aren't at the coalface are those that are out of the room. So that was sort of the, that was the, we ended up having a discussion, um, you know, I decided that it was time for me to exit uh, because I just was focused on other things and it's hard for small businesses to maintain silent shareholders. Yeah. Uh, but I think that's where a lot of small businesses have to grow up a bit and understand that, you know, there's silent shareholders right throughout the landscape, but oftentimes small businesses have tend to be less sophisticated in their thinking around these matters. So um, so basically, uh, that was the exit. We negotiated uh, a fair price for me to exit, 
and uh, and I gave my equity over to those that were running the business on a day-to-day basis. And I had a big chunk of equity in the tax doctor at that point. Yeah, all, all valid and interesting points, which you could spend an hour just talking about here, but I'll keep moving, because those are all very valid points you raise. So the objective today is to is really just to bring those up into people's awareness, and uh, it's certainly something to be very conscious of and to act upon and get the appropriate advice on, there's no doubt about it, because franchising, the whole point about franchising and what you exploited so well, and perhaps with a more educated group of partners, or senior management who took a buyer would understand your, your the validity of you remaining as a long-term shareholder, but not being active in the business. Mm. But it's it's a bit of an old pres- Presbyterian work ethic and resentment, isn't it? Uh, you're not here with your sleeves rolled yeah. up. What do you know? Why should we give you a check every month? <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. And you know, like I understand it because you know anyone who's worked in small business knows that it's you know it's very hard work. There's lots of challenges. And I understand it, but, you know, like I think in some respects, uh, you know, small business has to grow up a little bit in terms of its views around these things. But, you know, um, you know, at the end of the day, it was, you know, it was a relatively fair outcome. And, uh, you know, the, the, the good thing is that the, the business has been able to go on and, and thrive and, uh, you know, the people that are running it are doing a great job and they continue to do a great job. And, um, yeah, it's, the brand has just got stronger and stronger. And, and how, tell me, how do you feel about that, looking at it now? What's your emotional response when you see a tap doctor van drive past? Yeah, it's a it's a really great question. Um, look, for a while, I, I you know I think I felt a niggle every time I saw a van <laughs> on the road. But these days, it <laughs> these days it doesn't affect me like that. I'm just proud that you know I was I was part of it. Um, Mm. And, uh, you know, and I'm very, I, 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 I don't know whether, pro, I don't know whether pride is the right word for the others that, that carried it on. Uh, I think they were the right people to carry on the job. And, um, Phil Hargrave, who was the guy that I sold most of my equity to, is a great visionary. He had great, his commitment was just incredible. And, uh, look, he's just done a superb job. So I just take my hat off to him. Yeah, brilliant. Okay, interesting. Yes, so it's it's rather looking. You know, it's it's like, you know, not exactly the the comparison, but bringing out family or whatever it might be. It's something you get involved in, and you can watch it grow, and it goes on. And it has a life of its own, doesn't it? Uh, which is what's happening now. Yeah, you know, that's right. You know, Brian, it's life, isn't it? You know, everything everything has a uh, has a um uh, what's the word? An expiry date, if you like. Even we as yeah. human beings, we have an expiry date. <laughs> Business relationships have an expiry date. There yeah. tends to be a lot of emotion around when relationships break up, whether it be, you know, in, in a divorce situation or in a business situation or friendship. It tends to go with the territory, but it's always an opportunity for us to grow and become you know, better people. And I think that, you know, the main word that comes to me uh, in all of this is respect. You know, you've just got to learn to be respectful in business relationships and, and your primary relationships. And, you know, um, I think if, if everyone can respect one another, then it's, uh, it, it's, uh, a, lot, it, it's a lot less painful when it's that for, for those relationships. Yeah, and I've been reading a bit about that recently. You know, it's the same with your relationships with your customers. If you can build up that respect, what flows from respect is trust. And from trust, you've got a solid, cemented relationship. So in that case, 
your role in in preparing, you know, for the development of the, of the group, and then your your first couple of three years when you were there, really sort of, you know, with your quick start mentality. What what did you what did you do at that stage to sort of dovetail yourself into the operations of a plumbing business with Archie the Archie the the, the wild and extrovert uh, plumber? <laughs> Yeah, um, well, the first thing that we did was we, we, we completely overhauled the look and feel of the business. Um, so that was the first thing. Uh, we then looked at ways that we could um, deploy the plumbers in a much more efficient way. So we developed uh, systems, computing systems and databases which allowed us to recognise when past customers had called in and also to identify demographic areas and, and ways that we would deploy the job so that they were deployed a lot more efficiently. Um, we were very big into guerrilla marketing back then. So we, we, we used to put out roster signs with, um, say if it was in Patrick's day, we'd say to be sure, to be sure, the tap doctor, and we'd plant 20 of these things all over the suburbs. And then uh, the next, uh, on the following Monday, we'd do this on the weekend, the following Monday we'd usually get a call from the council with a, uh, sometimes with a fine attached to it and some dogs come and pick these, uh, these rock signs up. Um, but we did those on all the occasions. We did them during Christmas and we're during the Christmas months we changed the colours of our logo to green and red and gave it a Christmassy feel. You know, Anzac Day we, you know, we, we did various themes. And it was just, it was just a lot of fun. So the marketing side of it, uh, the system side, the look and feel was where we originally focused our efforts. And, and I, and, and Archie's job, was very much to focus on uh, delivering um, the customer service and the technical uh, competencies at, at the door. So when we went to the door, all our plumbers wore red socks. They still do. They'd take their boots off. Their red socks would show. You know, we'd just, we would just would you see a lot of little things that we would do. We'd always leave them with a little gift bag and have some lollies and a fridge magnet and a thank you and we'd follow up with calls and thank you cards. So it was, it was not. You know, it wasn't rocket science, but. You know, we did it. You know what I mean? Like, mm. you can, you can talk to businesses about these things and say, you know, this is, and they'll, they'll kind of roll their eyes and go, oh, I've heard all this before, but how many businesses are actually doing it? You know, common, common sense isn't always common practice. So at the tap doctor, we actually did these things and that, that's where the genius was. It wasn't in the, that the ideas were particularly genius, it was that they were actually done, they were acted upon. That's it. Implementation. And look, as you say, those are all little things from the socks to leaving some lollies, uh, a bit of guerrilla marketing. Very simple. But what you did was tick the boxes. So there's some lessons there for everybody because everyone could do all those things, you know, in one way or another with their business. Uh, um, so that, that I can understand. I can feel the excitement coming through as I hear you winding up with the energy and the enthusiasm that you had. So, so when it came to, I suppose, as you, as the business grew, and you were delegating or leveraging some of the roles that maybe you, you didn't want to continue with or you were less comfortable or able with. Um, how successful were you in doing that and how did you implement it? Yeah, look, I, I think I was very successful in that. That's where I brought Phil, in, Phil on board. Phil Hargrave was a, um, you know, he was a real systems guy. He was a, he was just, um, loved crossing T's and, and dotting I's and he loved sales. So he was very good at, um, you know, implementing, uh, I guess the, you know, the less glamorous sides of the business, the sides of the business that really required someone to sit down and, 
you know, do detail work and that sort of thing. So, so I brought Phil on board to do that. Uh, he did a great job. Um, I stepped back, stepped more into a sales role and then ultimately stepped out to do, you know, uh, pursue um, my public company, um, uh, what I set up in it with, uh, with Sabi Energy. And, um, yeah, so, so that, that happened and, um, yeah, Phil just came, came along at the right time for that. Perhaps I can ask um, you a couple of things about Phil there because that's interesting. When you, obviously he came in, we're all familiar, we're all familiar with the disc profile. He came in obviously to fill in the S aspect, uh, and maybe a bit of the C from the point yeah. of support and detail components. Yeah. yeah. Which for you, a- perhaps I've got the time for, you know, your, your personalities means you're, you're in too much of a hurry for that sometimes. Yeah. 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 You know, I, I sort of, I definitely recognised that in Phil, and uh, you know that was, um, you know, I think any entrepreneur, you know, who who finds someone like that gets very excited, you know, and it's uh, you, you need those people in business. Absolutely. Um, and yeah, so so we're able to transition fairly well. Uh, in the early days, of course, I did everything. I mean, I you know, I sat there seven days a week, you know, answering, you know, doing call outs to to plumbers over the two way. I did all the marketing. I developed our database. Um, you know, just it, just because it wasn't my natural bent didn't mean that I could shy away from those things because there's no one else to do them. Um, yeah, so you, then as time went on, yeah. Okay, I, mean, I, I think that's, that's the interesting thing there, Brian, is, you know, like we all have to do in business things that we don't want to do. Um, it's definitely a trap to not do anything you don't want to do, but it's all equally a trap to end up doing all the things you don't want to do. So it's just finding that balance. There's no hard and fast rule other than to find find the balance. Um, but I do believe in con- continually succeeding in the sense when I mean succeeding is continually going up to the next level of responsibility. So for example, if you are if you're a, if you're a, um, running that business bringing someone else in so you can step up maybe to do some business development, then bringing in a business development guy so that you can step up to be on the board and maybe ultimately stepping out of the business and just being a shareholder um, whilst that business is run under management. And we see this a lot in franchising where there's big groups that will buy franchises and put them under management uh, and make, it, make good money that way. You know, If it's a good franchise system, uh, you can buy a bunch of them, put them all under management, and collect your check each day. You know, um, that's the way it can work. Mm, no, it's, you've, you've, I mean, your jigsaw comes together really well. So you sorted that Rubik cube out, and uh, you know, a bit of trial and error at some stages, I'm sure, but you kept all the squares in place. So Phil, did did he come on as an employee, or was it the intention he would take a share or buy you out when he when he when you when you he, first? He originally came on. Uh, he, he, we brought him in as a, so at the, uh, there was Archie and myself. I think we, from memory, we brought, uh, Phil in as a, as a shareholder. Um, I think he came on originally at 20% and then stepped it up to 30%. So it was basically a third, a third, a third. Um, and, um, yeah, yeah. And then, uh, and then Archie, Archie sold out. Uh, he moved back to Victoria. Uh, he sold, he sold his shares. Um, and then uh, sometime later, I sold out as well to, to okay. Phil and one other gentleman. Lovely. So, yeah, that's, that's, that's a great progression. So it was an evolving strategy, but one you recognise you needed to have because of your quick start, 
I suppose ca- characteristics. Okay, so um, so th- this it's a love, it's a great story. I'm sure there's lots to fill in the gaps if we had say lots of time. But uh, I think we're getting lots of really valuable information and picking up some great tips from that. So f- for people that are listening here at the moment, faced with the sorts of challenges that you had, um, you know, perhaps when you started with Archie, then when you got in the business and you were working there seven days a week doing all the things you didn't necessarily like doing, um, what, what, what would be the advice you'd give to people faced with that same dilemma? Well, I think there's a phase when you're starting anything, they call it the frantic phase where you've just got to do everything, you know, and, and um, you know, uh, you and your partner, if you have one, you know, you just have to do all the different aspects of the business. But as things, as the business enters um, a more mature phase, uh, there's the possibility to you know form an organisational chart, and, and different people will step into those roles on the org chart. So, for example, you might go from being you know the two-way radio operator to the marketing executive and the um, you know the uh, accountant and you know the bookkeeper, or whatever. You might be filling all those roles in the business, and then over time you'll you know, we'll say now we can afford to get a bookkeeper, uh, we can afford to this or that. So. Obviously, if you've got the more capital you have up front, um, the more you can get out and focus yourself on the work that is more your natural bent. But that takes self-awareness. A lot of business people haven't got the self-awareness to know where their natural bent is. Those that have are at a huge uh, advantage because they can leverage that and they can put the right people in the right positions for other roles in the company. So I, I would just make sure that um, you, you have a nice balance. Self-awareness is, is very important. Um, emotional stability is very important. Uh, I, was, I was listening to an interview with Warren Buffett the other day and he was actually being interviewed with a rap singer, Jay-Z, and they were sitting in the same room. Uh, Jay-Z looked real funny in a suit. I got a sucky, but he was suited up in Warren Buffett's office. Um, but it was interesting. You know, Warren Buffett was, was talking about the most important thing in investing and making money is emotional intelligence or the ability to be emotionally stable. And so, you know, when you've got that stability, you can weather the many ups and downs that you can experience in business without making rash decisions and without uh, reacting too much because ultimately, um, you know, when you stay, keep, keep steady emotionally, uh, you're much more likely to and, and, and storms blow over and, and you're still at, at, at the wheel carrying on. So um, I think that's important. I think awareness is really important. Uh, obviously, you know, practical things like um, shareholder agreements are very important. Um, you know, the old uh, good fences make good neighbours kind of thing when you're in when you're in relationship with shareholders. You know, I think a lot of people, they set businesses up with friends. Um, it's done on a handshake. Um, but, you know, business is just one of those places where emotions can get frayed and, and friendships can bust up. And so you need to make sure that if and when that happens, that you've got some sort of documentation to fall back on. So I know you're very big on this, Brian, making sure that legal agreements are, are watertight. I know uh, you work very closely with your clients on that, and I think that that's absolutely terrific. Yes, look, that's absolutely right. That's brilliant. Thank you. So you you mentioned there, and and this is just to reinforce to people listening, you you can't start putting your organisation chart together too soon, even 
as uh, as Tim mentioned, you might be wearing all the hats, um, but you need to allocate them to somebody else as the opportunity grows and determine your pathway to the future so you know pretty much which element you're going to delegate or leverage as you move yourself forward. And you need that flexibility. The emotional intelligence is so important. I'm a bit of a, a student of, I suppose, of the, 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 what can I call it, the, the, of Paul Keating and his methodology. Um, in his interviews he did with Kerry O'Brien some time back, he made something which I thought a remark was really telling. He said that, you know, often he reacted, you would think in a knee-jerk way when things came up quickly. You know, when you're in politics and leadership, you don't have time to necessarily spend lots of time debating and getting advice. So he always knew from his teenage years what his values were and what his objective was. So if anything popped up, he knew immediately from his instinct, because it was just so drilled into him, into his unconscious, exactly what was the right thing to do. And, and I, I equate that to the emotional intelligence and avoiding those rush decisions, decisions because um, it's so important. You can make so many mistakes so quickly. The odd word uttered in, in haste <laughs> can create a disaster. Yeah. Mm, excellent. Yeah. Now, that's, that's been really interesting. Now, my, my big killer question at the end here is, um, is Tim, if you were to do this again with, with uh, Tap Doctor, um, what would you do differently? Um, yeah, good question. So I think that, as I've said a few times before, I would just, um, I mean, I think with the, the awareness that I've got at the moment, I'd be in a much better position um, in terms of just understanding you know, what my skill set is and, and what I'm bringing other people in for. Um, yeah, I... I don't know that I'd do it. I mean, I have got no regrets over it, um, Brian, so I don't know that I'd do a lot differently. Uh, maybe just, you know, I, I really believe things happen for a reason. So when you ask me what I would do differently, I don't ever really dwell on changing the past. So it's yeah. a very difficult question for me to answer. Fair enough. Um, uh, yeah. I think that, you know, what I've spoken about points to um, some of the things people can do to make sure that they're in the driver's seat on decisions that are made, and I think that that's you know that that's important uh, always to um, keep control and make sure that your business is your business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't be railroad. All right, excellent. Look, that's fantastic. Uh, I'll just summarise um, the, the the points that I've taken here, are just a few of the many. I've got two pages full of notes here, but. Reinforced right at the beginning the relevance of Michael Gerber's E-Myth and uh, anybody who hasn't read it, well, if you haven't read it for 12 months, go back and read it again. Um, it's so important. And uh, from your point of view as well, you referred several times to the mentors you had and the, the help that that was able to give you to get, a, I guess, um, an independent view of things, um, which you, you yep. lose sight of that. The thing that I picked up on, which was fresh to me particularly, was working on your self-awareness and it just it just it's triggered to me I thought goodness me yes before you start on the exercise you know we we talk about going through a bit of character assessment and disc profiles I think you need to recognize that and use that to develop your self-awareness so you really are conscious about what you're doing and so you can say to yourself I don't like this area 
but I've got a plan, and I'm going to get somebody doing this. In the meantime, do it damn well, and that's going to the quicker I and better I do it, the quicker I'm going to get a move on, sort of thing. Um, so yeah, that yeah. was interesting. Um, and and you recognise that you're a quick start. You know, you love starting things, so that's important. And that applies to so many entrepreneurs. You know, your butterfly is in the wind in many respects, and I include myself in that in that in that grouping. And um, you need to make sure mm. you've got you've got either growth that will allow you to to, to, to handle that, or you've got that exit strategy. Yeah. And, uh, and I think educating the partners, just like if you're in franchising and you're recruiting franchisees, you prepare them for the ups and downs they're going to have and how you're going to handle it, so it doesn't come yeah. Not. Um, yeah. And you know the the, the the reference to the you know the, the squeezing the toothpaste tube, which you know not everybody's happy with those sorts of things. How do you handle the little things? Yes. Yeah. Sometimes it's the dirty coffee cup in the kitchen that starts the beginning of a, a slippery slide. So, um, look, and yeah, the, that's the, right. the emphasis on systems and so forth. So, and the gorilla marketing, I haven't heard that term for a little while, but it's, it's delightful and I think it says it all. So, I, I'd like to thank you very much indeed. Now, um, in order that people can perhaps study you and learn a bit more about your background and maybe even catch up, can I pass on or would you like to pass on a you know, maybe your, your your website or LinkedIn or, or Facebook contact sure. uh, address, Tim? Yeah, probably, you know, the best place is uh, is LinkedIn or ch at timwise.com.au um, and also LinkedIn, you'll find my uh, my name and profile there. Um, probably the LinkedIn gives a bit more information about, you know, the, my background and, and what I'm doing now. And, uh, yeah, I'd be delighted to hear from anyone who uh, who wants to make contact uh, in any way. Excellent. And I know we've got another talk uh, lined up in the future uh, with regards to what you do and the services you offer by way of sharing your experience and, and, and sort of in, in the mentoring and coaching area. So that's something as well that people, if they wish to uh, inquire about that, that's where they should go, to the LinkedIn. Yeah, you bet. Yeah, that's right. Thanks, Absolutely. Brian. That's uh, very kind of you. Not at all. It's been kind of you. Thank you very much today. Thoroughly enjoyed this. And it's been a been a great uh, a great conversation. Another one of our franchise radio shows. And please keep listening because we'll be back with more very soon. Welcome to the franchise.